Hey everyone, welcome to The Lead, where we discuss the news and events happening in the community of Ganawage. In this special episode, our journalists discuss the headlines from 2022, including the return to normalcy in Ganawage, the MCK housing issue, and our local athletes. Have you ever been gaming or working online classes and your internet service constantly gets interrupted? First Nations Fiber is about to ensure that just won't happen again. Get ready for high speed at a new level. Click on fnfiber.com and sign up today. First Nations Fiber, empowering people through connectivity. Hey everyone, my name is Jordan Stadup. I'm the assistant editor here at Yeriwuze. Today I'm joined by our editor and publisher, Greg Horn as well as our contributing writer, Mark Lalone. So welcome to the studio today, gentlemen. Good day, sir. Happy New Year, and I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to have you guys here because our calendar has finally flipped to the year 2023, which means that we're going to be talking about the headlines from the year 2022. And one of the biggest headlines of last year, Greg, would probably be the return to normalcy here in Gunawage. Yes, from March 13th, 2020. Things around the community and around the world haven't been quite the same, right? Uh, you know, with the uh, declaration of the COVID-19 sickness was actually a pandemic, which means that it was, it's something that's of global concern. Things were, were very different uh, in our community and, and, and remain so for the whole calendar year, the rest of the calendar year of 2020, the whole calendar year of 2021. And then as we began 2022, things in the province of Quebec were, were a little bit different than they were elsewhere. There was, things were closed again. Theaters were closed. Restaurants were closed uh, because there was, uh, because of the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus, things were, were much different than they were uh, throughout the entire pandemic. It had the same type of contagiousness as the original strain of, of COVID-19 from March 2020, so it was it was spreading like wildfire. Thankfully, it was less virulent and uh, was easier on a lot of people's systems than previous iterations of the virus. But as as a precaution, things had changed. So Quebec Public Health and and even uh, here at the Gunawaga COVID nineteen task force, uh, you know the, the the way to mitigate it was it was different than it was just six weeks before. Things were were a lot different and required. A lot of things to close and it was something that we were like oh really again like let's people were getting really tired of restrictions and closures and, and things like that and then by the end of the month by the end of january 2022 things started to reopen and 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 get back to normal then by march march 2022 we began writing stories about uh how things were were starting to come back the powell committee was uh was planning the, the Echoes of a Proud Nation powwow, which had been put on ice, you know, for 2020 and 2021. Powers that be at, at, in various sporting uh, federations and associations were, were starting to plan uh, for their summer sports, uh, you know, like lacrosse, uh, minor lacrosse hadn't, hadn't been, had been non-existent for two years. You know, junior lacrosse and senior lacrosse had been non-existent and things were, were, were still unsure in March, but by April, each each league was like, all right, yeah, the the situation has improved, so that now we can we can start planning for a season, and you know things things start moving forward quite quickly, and you know uh, then then come July, then the powwows happening, and uh, you know finally we're able to have the thirtieth anniversary of the Echoes of Proud Nation powwow, 
which is is the largest tourist event the community has. Uh, you know, over over the course of two days, thousands of people come to the community and and get to experience the powwow and see uh, indigenous culture uh, at the forefront. Uh, and highlighted and, and and stuff like that. Not having that for for the last two years was very different and very difficult for a lot of people. You know, we talk about how how important Apollo is as a tourist event, and that brings people from all over the place. You know, it brings dancers and vendors, but it also highlights our own dancers and and vendors and craftspeople and artists. And you know, have not having the opportunity to to sell their crafts and their artwork and showcase their businesses. It's a huge, it was a huge loss to the, to the local economy and, and having all these closures and everything was devastating to the, to the community's economy. And now things are, are starting to go back towards that normal. Uh, we're not all the way there. I mean, there's no restrictions and, 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 and things like that, but businesses are still trying to hire people, trying to get people out there and getting people back to work, getting people back in the office. And, you know, those, those things are going to take some time because a lot of people are, are comfortable working from home and this and that. But, you know, that, that also has its own uh, own challenges and, and, and benefits at the same time. But there's a lot of things that were not normal and we're almost all the way back to normal. And, but all, what, what the pandemic also highlighted was how, unnormal a lot of people's working situations were and how unnatural you know some things were and there's been some correction in that and and looking at how people work and you know how people treat sick days and and things like that and you know and and I think it was a it was a big wake-up call for for a lot of employers and a lot of employees on okay people you know used, used to value people who would work you know, through being sick and come, you know, come, come to work and, you know, not feeling well, can't do that now. We have to look at as employers, you know, you have to look at, at your employees as, as not just, you know, people creating stuff for your business and working for you. You got to look at them as human beings too. And if they're sick, you want to make sure that they're healthy before they come back to work. And, and you want to make sure that, that, you know, everybody's taken care of and, and their mental health is looked after and, and that you're not stressing people out over, over things like, well, if I don't come to work, am I going to get paid and this and that. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, you have to look at, at everybody as who are part of your business and your organization as, as important pieces. And, and in order for, for everything to function well, everybody has to be at their best. And if somebody's sick, then, then, you know, let, give them give them the time and space to, to stay home and, and recover, right? After that, then then you're gonna have happy employees and and happy employees are gonna work harder and they know because they know that their employ the employers are have their back, right? So so those are some of the conversations that have happened over the last two years because of the pandemic. And they, these these conversations should have happened probably years ago. So so we didn't have workplaces that were were built on, you know, just people giving all that they had, you know, even when they, they, they don't have the energy to do it. You know, it's a good, good welcome conversation uh, that that's now out there. Definitely. And while going through our archives over the last uh, week or so to look back at the past 12 months, another uh, item that made quite a few headlines was the fact that our community members were sent back to the polls, not once, but twice for by-elections this year. And uh, Mark, I know that you covered uh, those stories quite extensively over the last little while. Yeah, um, a couple of chiefs, Alan John Rice and uh, Barton Goodleaf, stepped down from council for a couple of different reasons. 
and those spots had to be filled and those seats had to be filled. The by-elections were, were, were pretty interesting. They had a lot of participation and there was a lot of engagement in the community. And Wahio DeLille was the, was won one of the by-elections and Stephen Angus McCumber was the other winner of the other by-election. I'm really excited to see what direction these new additions on council will make to the MCK and, and how it does its business. And I'm excited to see what, what sort of new ideas they'll be bringing to council. I think it's important to note, too, that portfolios, as of this recording, have not been reassigned. Barry and AJ both had uh, different portfolios, but based on their skill sets and interests, and, and Wahio and Stephen, you know, may not share those same interests and or have those same skill sets. So council decided that one, they would wait to assign portfolios until both by-elections were complete and everybody was up to speed and oriented at the job. And so hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll, we'll hear who has what portfolio and, and where we're going to go from here. It was unfortunate that these by-elections took place so close together. AJ got, got a job opportunity within council that he couldn't turn down, that he felt he couldn't turn down and, uh, you know, announced his, announced his resignation, uh, and because of the, the timing of, of his resignation, there was more than half of the term left. So it's a three-year term, and if there's less than half the term left, then there's no by-election. They just, they just carry forward. But because of the timing of it, there was still, you know, more than 18 months left in the term. Under the election law, by-election had to happen. Then just as the community is about to go to the polls for that election, that by-election, Bart decided that that due to the various reasons, including his own health, and he felt he had to step down. I mean, a year before he made this announcement, he he, he had suffered a heart attack. And, you know, so he was looking at like, okay, well, may, you know, maybe the stress level is a little bit too high. Things are, are you know, a little bit more more than I expected. And also, he had a, there was a lot of time away from his family. And, and he's also a, uh, an entrepreneur, and he was away from a lot of his businesses for a lot of time. He felt that it was best for him and his family for him to to step down and enter the the private sector again. So you know those were those were some of the the, the situations in why there was a by election. It, it was just unfortunate in in the timing that you know maybe had Bart made that decision a little bit earlier that the by election could have happened on the same the same day instead of having two different by elections. We'll go from there and hopefully uh, things are run smoothly for the rest of this term. And, and speaking of the Mohawk Council of Ganawage, the community in 2022 received uh, an update on a housing issue from that department, which is actually didn't occur within 2022, but it goes back a little further. So, Greg, are you able to tell us a little bit more about that issue? Yeah. So uh, if we go back to, I believe, the, the late spring, early summer of 2018, a number of clients within the MCK housing department who were either tenants at the MCK apartments, also known as the MCK multi-dwellings or rent to equity homes or uh, even mortgage holders through the MCK were notified that they owed in some cases thousands of dollars in, in back rent or back mortgage payments or, or whatever. And the ones who were living in MCK owned housing were told that they had to find new places to live in, you know, by the end of the month kind of deal. The problem was several of these, these homeowners are, our tenants had receipts that they had paid these, 
these rents and this amount owing and and they came to the, to the local media to, to talk about it and turned into this giant housing scandal at, that at the end of the day that, that they believe took place over the better part of 10 years uh, where certain amounts of, of rent or mortgage payments were, were collected and paid in cash and diverted from the MCK's bank accounts. And from their accounts. And, you know, so this was, you know, devastating for a lot of people. Investigations were, were held, criminal complaints were filed. Uh, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of things that were happening over the last four years or so. And people were, were upset, and rightfully so. And then people wanting to get justice as well. And at the end of the day, the, the, the Crown Prosecutor made a decision that because of... The, some of the way the 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 accounting was done uh within the housing department that there there wasn't sufficient evidence to to secure a criminal conviction and because of of that they they were not able to pursue criminal charges that announcement was made in uh November of of 2022 and it was upsetting for for a lot of people you know to to hear that because for a lot of people, it, was, it seemed like it was a cut and dry case. But, you know, the Crown has certain restrictions on, 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 on taking something to, to, to trial. And, you know, they have to have a reasonable expectation of, of being able to, to win the case. Uh, whether we like it or not, that's, that's, their, that's the way the system works. And, and unfortunately, uh, nothing is going to happen in that regard. You know, but the MCK has assured the community that... It has made changes within its its departments uh, and organization to to prevent something like this from happening again. Uh, no cash payments are are accepted in any MCK building except for the snack bar at the Gunaway Sports Complex and the reception area at, at the main MCK building. Everywhere else, it's you know you have to pay by cash and and uh, you have to pay by check and uh, make sure that. You know, you get official MCK receipts and all all these different things. So, some 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 good did come out of it, but it's still you know it's a very triggering and upsetting you know event for for a lot of community members. Just a little earlier, you were talking about the uh, return to normalcy in the community, which also meant the return of more in person events. And what that's leading me to is talking about the return of sports at the Gunawage Survival School. Mark, are you able to tell us a little bit more about the sports program that's happening over at KSS? I sure can. Um, it was actually a pretty exciting fall at KSS. They hired uh, Cougar Kirby to be uh, a facilitator for activities and student life. And uh, his mandate was to not only look into what sports kids be interested in, but everything. What, what activities, what clubs, leisure activities, things like that. But... I think primarily the interest was in the area of sports at the beginning, and, and it was a pretty exciting fall. Um, KSS had, they brought back the wrestling program, which is which is great, the traditionally very successful wrestling program, which was um, now under the tutelage and guidance of Brandon Stock, who is an alumnus and a former assistant coach, and they're off to a really, really, really exciting first part of the season. They're, they got their low in numbers, as you would expect, given two winters off uh, of wrestling, but Brandon said that he is excited and he's got a really, really raw athletic bunch of young wrestlers who are looking to make their mark, but they weren't the only young athletes at KSS to make uh, make their mark this fall. 
the girls volleyball team was the first one they've had in some time. And despite having only one player with competitive experience, they acquitted themselves pretty well and, you know, enjoyed a fairly successful season for a young, very, very raw and very, very inexperienced uh, volleyball program. It's, uh, it's looking to be an exciting winter at KSS. There are uh, a few more student sports activities on the way. They're going to have a futsal indoor soccer. Sorry, that's going to be a, indoor soccer in the gym is futsal to be very specific. They're going to have some basketball and the wrestling program will continue throughout the winter. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's the first winter uh, in, a, in, a, in a few where, you know, high school students have had the opportunity to participate in their sporting programs without concern for sanitary or other restrictions. Pretty exciting. Supermarché Edia, your one-stop grocery store for your everyday needs. Offering regular groceries as well as Afro-Caribbean and international food products. Looking to save money? Then Supermarché Edia is the right place for you. Located at 72 Boulevard Saint-Jean-Baptiste in Chattergay, behind the A&W. Open seven days a week. For more information, check out their website at idiasupermarket.com. That's I-D-I-A supermarket.com. You know, in talking about our uh, our students and athletes, they've filled our pages in 2022 with the profiles we've written because uh, our student and athletes are excelling at all levels from the minor leagues right up to we have professional hockey players like Brooke Stacy. We also have professional athletes in the NLL now, right, Greg? Yes. You know, we've, we've had uh, Angus Goodleaf, who plays for the Mohawks, as well as the Philadelphia Wings in the ranks of the NLL for, for be- the better part of a decade. This year, we've seen Ganawage's Deosundate McCumber, who's the son of uh, Doji McCumber and Kyla Jacobs. He went to the University of Albany, and then he played senior lacrosse in British Columbia this past summer. Uh, he got drafted by the Georgia Swarm, and the Georgia Swarm features Miles Thompson, Lyle Thompson and Jeremy Thompson, and Miles unfortunately is uh, is sidelined with uh, a knee injury right now. Um, and Miles does is, it does live in Ganawage uh, with his wife Dade, but Dave Sunate, you know, is an NLL rookie, and he he worked hard and he he made the team, and in their opening game he scored his first goal. You know, which is an immense accomplishment. Just shows the talent that Desdete has in the game to be able to to get out there and and as a rookie make the team and make the team's opening night lineup and then then score a goal. You know, he's got a bright future ahead of him in in, in the National Lacrosse League and uh, wherever he wants to play lacrosse. You know, we were talking about our our young scholars and now our professional athletes and. That just makes me think of two organizations in the community that are celebrating 50-year anniversaries or celebrated 50-year anniversaries rather in 2022, which are the Ganawage Youth Center and the Onage Paddling Club. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these athletes that we just mentioned got their start at either of those organizations. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, then, you know, uh, I think uh, we can't mention Onage without talking about Gwanagar to Daibo. Uh, who has been a, an exceptional athlete, and uh, Jordan, you've written a lot about her this year. You know, making Team Quebec and uh, you know training with Team Canada. Yeah, playing the you know attending Canada games, and one of the things that she's always talking about is the support at the grassroots level that she's received at Onage, and that's now she's put herself in a position where she's coaching and she's helping a lot of the younger athletes there. So she's definitely helping shape some of our young athletes and getting them to where she is now. 
And who knows where she could really take this because of the success that she's had on the water this summer. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Olympics are in her future for sure. Yeah. And, and, and then another organization we talked about was the Gunung Ute Center, who just a couple of weeks ago marked their 50th anniversary. And as a part of their anniversary, they're doing a, they're doing a podcast here with your was they called KYC at 50, where, where they're getting you know, either employees or past employees and, and people who've gone through the programs there to come on our podcasts and and discuss the the history of of the Gunawal Youth Center because that that organization has been so instrumental in 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 the community's development and uh, you know people have have you know a lot of people places uh, people that was their first job and you know and then they've gone on to become uh, you know educators in the community and 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 you know it's been really an important piece of the community you know bravo for for these two organizations who've been who've meant so much to so many people for celebrating 50 years and uh, you know uh, here's to the next 50. You know, another another group that's that's really proven itself in the community over the last two years really is James Day and his Haunted Woods crew. James has really turned his passion, like I was mentioning before, for Halloween into this drive to start fundraising for the community, uh, more specifically the Orville Stand-Up Memorial Food Basket. And James Day and his crew of volunteers have raised a couple of thousand dollars for the food basket this year through a variety of Halloween themed events and some of them even stretch back to the summer of 2022. Yeah, you know, and and you know, you know having uh the Halloween drive-bys, the being involved in trunk or tree and and all these other things and I think in 2020 having the in conjunction with Crazy Horse uh having uh an outdoor movie night uh where they so, they showed some uh old like slasher films from the the 70s and 80s uh you know, and, and having all the people involved with the, the haunted woods out there in, in costume and in full character, uh, you know, was uh, was something else. You know, it was just something that I think that that the community, you know, this community loves Halloween. And I don't think anybody in the world loves Halloween more than James Day. And, you know, to be for him to be able to, to share that love for for everything Halloween with the community and to be able to raise a significant amount of money for 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 one of the organizations that, that is doing a lot of good in the community and doing a lot of help uh, is phenomenal. It's always fun to be able to write those types of stories and those types of headlines, but unfortunately not every story that's going to make it into the paper is always going to be easy to write or easy on the community. And one of those stories was the removal of the remains of a former priest here in Gunawage. Yeah, so so that was, uh, you know, I think it was a traumatic event for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. You know, Father Leon Lejoie has been, was was a priest in the community. First time he was in the community was 1956. Uh, and then 1960, uh, for a short period of time, then he came back in 1961 uh, for another short period of time. And then I think in 1963, uh, he was the parish priest from, from 1963 until he had to retire due to illness in 1990 and then in 19 between 1990 and, and early 90s he was he was around but he wasn't the parish priest that was stationed here uh and then he passed away in 1999 and a request from his family and the church committee uh, was made to have him have his remains buried on church grounds now this is something that's unprecedented because Non-native people are not allowed to be buried on reserve. 
um, you know, for various reasons uh, and, 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 and under various laws, including the Indian Act. So this was a something that was not seen before. And at the time, because of his involvement in the community, it was something that was, I think, the, the council at the time said that this is the right thing to do. It was upsetting for a lot of people at the time, too, because under the Indian Act, when somebody married a non-native and they lost their, their rights, that include the right for, for burial in the community. So there's a lot of community members, especially women, who married non-natives that weren't allowed to be buried in the community. And, and people were upset by, by that at the time. And then we go back to May and June of 2021 with the discovery of remains of 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 children at uh, on the sites of former residential schools across Canada discussions resumed and then there was some uh, uh, allegations were revealed of sexual abuse by by Father Lajoie and the there was now a renewed call for his remains to be removed from the community there's a group of of community members that would every Sunday meet outside of the church and and basically that that was their goal the MCK began engaging the community on, on the issue, and then along with the Jesuit Order of Canada, an investigation was launched by um, an independent firm called King International. And unfortunately, through, the, through that, that investigation, maybe not everybody who, who could have participated participated, and they couldn't find conclusive evidence for or, or, or against uh, whether or not these allegations were true. However, they did believe that at least uh, one person had been abused during the, the, a period in the 70s, but were unsure or whether or not it was Lajoie or somebody else that may have fit the description. But, they, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the report was released in in February of this year, of, of 2022, and then there was a two-day vote held at the Golden Age Club, and the question that was asked of the community was whether or not Father Lajoie's remains should be removed from the community. At the end of the day, the vote came down, and the community members who participated in the vote voted to remove Father Lajoie's remains from the community. And then so council accepted the results and communicated with the Jesuits, and the Jesuits obtained all the legal permissions to to have this done because apparently this is something that happens regularly i i don't i don't know how, how often but it happens uh so so they were going to repatriate his remains and and have him interred at the jesuit cemetery in saint jerome so now months of waiting and then in august i think i believe it was august 10th the the exhumation was conducted it took a couple hours a local contractor came in and dug up the, the remains and, you know, the peacekeepers um, created a perimeter so nobody could be right there and, and see see it happen, you know. But again, this was, you know, a, a traumatic uh, event for, for a lot of people. Father Lajoie, for a lot of people, was was saw as a, as a good person and his involvement in the church and the community and, and, and you know, people generally liked him. And, and to see that happen was, was very, very upsetting, I think, for for a lot of people, but at the same time, for the people who who may have been may have been victimized, having the removal, I think, was was something that was important to them. But but it was probably also a traumatic experience for them as well. 
and bringing up uh, you know some of the some of the wounds and uh, reopening them and and having to talk about it and relive it you know so you know it was that was a big story and it was also um, you know one of those stories that was very difficult to to write about uh, you know because of everything that involved. Another story that uh, made headlines in your day was a, a little bit more recently was uh, COP15, which actually was hosted in Montreal. And Mark had written quite a bit about that, actually, over the last little while. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a gigantic international United Nations biodiversity conference called COP15. The COP is short for um, Council of Parties. And essentially, they brought together thousands of people from around the world to explore the possibility of further protecting a lot of the globe's biodiversity. We're talking about, you know, maybe 6% of the world's oceans are, are currently protected and uh, an agreement that was reached at COP15 among the 120 plus participating nations was that they would protect up to 30% of the world. And a court was reached that uh, the nations had agreed to protect 30% of the world's wetlands and, and, and ocean areas which was a very ambitious and massive goal. Um, the event also featured a very, very strong uh, uh, Gunawage contingent. The Gunawage tourism kiosk got a visit from David Suzuki, which was pretty cool. And the Gunawage Environmental Protection Office, along with Chief Ross Montour, presented a biodiversity project for the, the bay restoration here in Gunawage, a project that has been going on in the last couple of years. And... Uh, Something that's been seen as a real, real good sign of concrete progress towards biodiversity and as an example for the rest of the world. In addition, the Longhouse hosted a uh, an evening dinner and social event for the Indigenous contingent, which was quite strong at the event. Uh, indigenous people from around the world descended upon Montreal. And the remarkable agreement that came out of it was reached very, very close to the end of the conference, minutes before the gavel banged down uh, late Sunday night in December. So that was just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago, and it's pretty exciting. It's If you're an environmental protection fan, and I think a lot of people are, it's an important moment. You no, know, we've all filed hundreds of stories, I'm sure, in 2022, and this really is just scratching the surface when it comes to the last 12 months. And I'm sure that we're going to have a heck of a lot to cover in the coming year. We could have talked about, you know, a number of things, the dominance of the uh, the women's soccer team here in the community. And as Mark was just mentioning, the completion of the uh, rehabilitation and restoration project on Cattery Island as well. So, like I said, this is really, really just scratching the surface. And I just really want to thank you guys for coming in today and chatting with me about the year that was 2022. Yeah, I'll go, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks for listening to The Lead. Be sure to check out our other podcasts, Meatheads and The Beating Table on Google and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.